grad scientists and where to find them. Seriously misunderstood creatures. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Hello everyone and welcome on the second episode of your soon-to-be favorite podcast, Grad Scientists and Where to Find Them. What is this podcast? Well, we are some uh, people. So, well, <laughs> it is a podcast that talks about the research student life with research students. And today, I welcome uh, two extremely beautiful and really talented guests, as per usual. First, we have John... John, hello, welcome. Hi, hi, how are you? I'm great. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good too. Okay. Happy to be here. <laughs> That's great. Can you tell us a little more about yourself? Um, yes. So, my name is John. Uh, this is my last semester of my master's in chemical engineering. And um, I'm, uh, I did my undergrad at McGill. I love McGill and I recommend McGill to everyone. McGill is great. On my left, I have Yondu. Yondu, welcome. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I say hi to Yondu. I've seen her all day and I say hi to her again. Uh, well, can you tell us a bit more yourself about yourself, Yondu? Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm Yondu. I am a fourth year PhD student in the School of Communication Sciences and Disorders. And that was a mouthful. Um, <laughs> we just call it the SCSD. And nobody knows what it is, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> After this, people will. That's the hope. All right. So uh, I didn't even say who I was, but you should know already because it's written in the description of this episode. My name is Mael Mochon. I'm a neuroscience graduate student at McGill. Uh, but we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you guys. Uh, does anybody want to start talking about their research, their passion, what they love doing every day and night? I think Yondu wants to start. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was not the cue I was trying to Yeah, but do. nobody has seen it because it's an audio podcast. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good segue because I study nonverbal communication. Oh, wow. Wow. I didn't even do it on purpose. Yeah. All right. Well. Oh, yes. Okay. So, um, sorry, I'm getting a little excited jumping around here. Um, so, yeah, I study nonverbal communication. Uh, so I started off studying memory and more like cognitive psychology and gestures. And that's kind of what got me hooked into research. And I thought, you know, like I could study this for another two to three years and be totally happy with myself because I just thought it was really fascinating. And then I came to McGill and I've learned so much more about nonverbal communication um, that I just... I could read this stuff all day. <laughs> so you decided to stay forever. I mean, let's not say forever. I mean, you're in your fourth year of your PhD. Okay. Okay. Someone's counting the years and I don't really <laughs> like it. <laughs> you're going to start a PhD soon too. Yeah, that's so, true. So yeah, let's start not, counting the years. Yeah, I know. But we're not talking about me right now. We're talking about you. So what are you doing as a PhD student? Um, oh, so yeah, so my research. So for my thesis, it's about people with foreign accents. Um, and it's largely going to be trying to better understand the negative social consequences that people with foreign accents can experience, why this happens to them, and how are the people that are receiving this speech or interacting with these people, why, like, how are they 
processing the speech and like it, that's why it leads to these negative things that happen. That's cool. How do you how do you test? Like, what's the experimental design that that could lead to understanding this better? Um. Okay. So that kind of varies. So it's uh, a lot of the stuff that has come out about people with foreign accents has been from social and cultural psychology where they will have people listen to the way someone speaks and rate like how intelligent are they how friendly are they how mm -hmm. likely would you hire them for this job um do you believe what they're saying uh, and so this has given us a better idea as to people's attitude towards people that have foreign accents Mm -hmm. And then there's other streams of research that have looked at uh, a more cognitive side. So um, how long does it take people to understand what the speech is saying? If we ask them to like write out word for word, kind of like, what are they saying to get a better idea of like the cognitive load or like the amount of effort that people uh, it can take people to understand what someone um is saying and as you might uh suspect these things also interact because <laughs> otherwise uh, it wouldn't be fun right so <laughs> yeah there's this constant uh interplay between like people's attitudes towards cultures in general or the way people talk and then does this happen because they have difficulty understanding what the person's saying because of their accent or they or just really have a very negative attitude towards them. Mm -hmm. So trying to, my research is really trying to understand these, this interaction between these negative and social factors. I see. So you would like present voices uh, of people and like make them decide whether they're intelligent or. Uh... Yeah. So um, there's different ways that you can kind of make something more cognitively challenging for someone. Mm -hmm. Um I'm still kind of in like the preliminary stage of set, like designing an experiment, but uh, depending on the strength of the person's accent can make it more or less difficult for someone to process. Um, if you give them less help, so like if you have them listen to speech and you give them a timer and you say like you have to um, tell me exactly what the person said as accurately as possible and mm. this could lead to like we're going to add up your points in the end sort of idea like putting like an actual time pressure um on the person can also increase like the cognitive effort and the cognitive load and like the social pressure to like have to understand somebody mm. so like by by manipulating this you can you can see how much how much of like the differences in perception is due to that cognitive load? And I guess you have like some tests to test whether a negative bias would be present in someone. Yeah, well. there's um. You may also be able to elaborate I on know, this. I'm asking for the people. <laughs> I right now I'm just a man of the people. I am. I don't know. Um. <laughs> so yeah, there is studies on uh, or so generally people um measure someone's attitude towards a language or cultural group through uh, the ratings. So it's sort of like their social perception after they hear the way someone speaks. Uh, there's also questionnaires that people will answer. Mm -hmm. um, these are all kind of getting at people's explicit attitude that versus more of an implicit attitude. 
um, where they may not be conscious of it. So for that, there is the implicit association test, which I'm sure you could elaborate on. (laughs) This is one of my favorite tests. (laughs) And there's also a similar one called the who said what paradigm, which goes along the same. um, What What is the who said what? The who said, yeah. I generally do not know this. Oh, really? Um, Okay, so the who said what paradigm, it will present people with, don't quote me on this, but I think it's like they present speech with faces, but if the speech and like the appearance of the person sound too similar, then they, uh, so which is supposed to be similar to like how they would understand native speech, like native speakers because they're very like used to it. They would make more errors doing that mm-hmm. versus if they hear someone that has a foreign accent, it's more different um, or it's easier to differentiate like this person has a foreign accent versus a native accent. And so okay. they're supposed to be more accurate um, on that. And this is supposed to people have made claims that this is supposed to reflect this implicit social categorization that you said that you've really categorized people as foreign accents as being a separate social category in your memory. Yeah. And so, like, what would be... This is, like, it's funny because in the first episode, I actually talked about this annoying question, but I sort of know that... I sort of already know the answer, so that's why I'm asking it anyway. Oh, okay. What, what uh, kind of, like, real-life uh, application could, could that fit in, th- this sort of research fit in? <sighs> Count the ways. (laughs) This is, um, yeah. So I definitely have a lot of responses to this because this is kind of how I've like, what guided me to come up with a research question. I had to really feel like I was solving a real issue or it was Mm -hmm. like very relevant to today's world. Um, So yeah, people with foreign accents can face negative social consequences in different countries and so like there's context within that as well as different like social context so um there's been cases where people were denied housing Mm -hmm. when they try to like call in to inquire about an apartment they hear how you speak and they're immediately like no nothing's available but then they like have somebody else do the same call and they're like yeah come in like on tuesday (laughs) Um, so yeah, so there's like the employment, there's, uh, oh yeah, there's within job interviews, um, cause now the job interview process can be from like resume to phone interview before you even make it into a, like an in-person interview. So they can kind of already single you out before you, they even meet you in person. Um, in the court of law, there's been issues about how the way people sound, um, so yeah, I feel like it's just a big general. <laughs> <laughs> just, there's ma- at least there's many applications, right? This is it's true. <laughs> it's not like your research is like completely uh, out of it's, touch. It's, it's not narrow. It's not very narrow. I feel like it's really on the side of a uh, sexy research. I I put quotation marks in the air. You cannot see this, but I did. Um, but really, yeah, it's like very easy to to translate, and I find it really appeals. That's the sort of thing that you would see in. Um, in a um, in a Vice article or something like that, right? Oh Once yeah. Once you've done your research, you're gonna have a lot of problems of people deforming what you've said. I feel. <laughs> yeah, because I think people understand the concept of accent. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's not even like we have to come up with another scientific word for it. So yeah. that's definitely helpful. But uh, yeah, you're right. It is more vulnerable to 
misinterpretation. Yeah, yeah. That's a problem for a future Yondu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this Yondu's going to graduate <laughs> and not stay here forever, like you say. Yeah, that could be your episode three topic, maybe. That science is misrepresented. Mis- misrepresentation of science. In yeah. the, oh, you mean in the, in the media? Yeah, in the general media. That's true. Like, uh, it could exp- like so much get distorted by the time it reaches the general public. And often, like, uh, for us, a scientific paper is only what counts. Like, if you go through yeah. any general article, like, other than if you're looking for a device that's been commercialized, you're not, you're not looking at, at the, what the public reads. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, well, I'm not picking at any journalist in particular, but I've, from the articles I've seen that circulate on Facebook or that, you know, the mom sharing. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. They're, they're not very accurate. And <laughs> it's true. But I mean, at the same time, there's one big benefit from it is that it may, like, interest some people. That yeah. will then. Yeah, I do agree. Do we need it. Research. I just think it's not been done in the correct way. That's for sure. That's for sure. But I mean, you can always ask journalists to do their job correctly. Oh wait, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into politically incorrect in this. You one. are. <laughs> I should just. I should wash my mouth because who knows if we have a thousand viewers uh, one day, uh, viewers, <laughs> auditors, I may get in trouble. Anyway, on that uh, happy. Uh, completely incorrect note. <laughs> Let's move on towards John. John, do you want to talk to us about what you do? Yes, for sure. So my work is on diabetes. And uh, yes. I'll explain what diabetes is first. So we there's two types in diabetes. And then the type 1 is considered to be acquired. You don't... It's It's rare that you've done something is probably genetic. It's probably... Uh, environmental but something out of your control whereas type Mm -hmm. 2 is directly um, linked with obesity malnutrition Um, so I work on type 1 so what happens in type 1 is your own immune system attacks your cells that secrete the insulin and the insulin is the um, enzyme that circulates in your blood that tells your cells take glucose from the blood so that glucose is uh, the sugar that they need for energy. So if you have, if your cells don't uptake sugar, then there's an issue. And if your blood sugar is too high, there's an issue. So (laughs) So what people do is they take (laughs) insulin shots. And um, that works, but you need to keep monitoring your actual blood level because you don't want to overshoot the insulin. And, you know, like, I don't have diabetes myself, but uh, if you think about it, it's not, it's not a good quality of life to have to keep uh, For sure. uh, taking um, shots. and um, I mean, taking shots is relatively <laughs> a good, good well, quality of life. Yeah. It depends on the type of shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Insulin shots. <laughs> and um, so there are um, a lot of um, involvement in the uh, looking at the therapy that can be uh, long-lasting. So something that is completely independent that can readjust the blood level, the blood sugar level. And that can be done through an artificial pancreas, be it mm-hmm. with um, a purely artificial system, uh, half artificial, half donor cells. Is that, so, is that, is that stuff in the works or is that stuff so that's actually there are some happening? things in clinical trials mm-hmm. and they have 
to my knowledge, nothing is close to, to be at mm -hmm. the, the last stage of clinical trials. Yeah. So um, what we do is, uh, so while there is a subset, there's different types of diabetes that are more severe than others. And for a specific type of diabetes, there is a transplantation method that is accepted in Quebec. This is actual um, clinically relevant. It happens, mm -hmm. It's been happening um, in Quebec and in Canada. It was developed in Edmonton, Edmonton, Canada. So what you do is you take a donor uh, pancreas, and instead of transplanting your pancreas, they developed a method to uh, select the cells that secrete the insulin. They are found in an aggregation of cells. We call them islets. So these islets can be transplanted directly into your liver. And then uh, since they're in the liver, they're directly in the blood circulation and they secrete the insulin directly where it's needed. However, you know, the foreign body into a new body, you yeah. need to be under immunosuppression constantly. So you're not solving the problem. You're just so putting you're it in somewhere else. Basically, the people who receive um, these transplantations, the quality of life they get under immunosuppression is better than the quality of life they're having under okay. diabetes because their diabetes is so severe. Okay. Because you can get things like um, um, diabetic retinopathy. You can go blind from diabetes if okay. you don't regulate ah. it properly. You can die in your, in your sleep. Because you can't you can't give yourself an insulin shot well, if sleeping. your blood glucose is too low or too higher. You're not yeah if it's not regulated. So, yeah. So what we do in the lab is we look at methods where we can remove the necessity of immunosuppression by using um, different processes to encapsulate these islets into either a gel or a device. Mm -hmm. I work on gels. I work with specifically with alginate. Alginate comes from an algae. It's uh, very biocompatible. You you find it in in salad dressings in the supermarket. Like it's it's used to yeah. You can, right. alginate is, is pretty common. You probably ate some alginate in your life at some point. Okay. And uh, cure from diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's not that the alginate does. <laughs> yeah. I, it sounds like I haven't listened, but I sh I swear I have listened a little bit. So the 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 alginate. Um, is a gel that, um, that so we can go from we can gel it around the eyelids to create a bead, and then the bead is porous to allow the insulin to go out and the oxygen and the nutrients to go in. But the porosity would be small enough that the immune cells cannot attack it, mm -hmm. and uh, possibly antibodies not even going in. So. Yeah, so you get um, you have to accept now that you increased the volume of the because now there's a bead around the eyelid. Yeah, uh, you can no longer insert that into the liver because it's too big. You have to go into a body cavity near your stomach, and then once you're there, you're not directly into the circulation, and you rely on diffusion for the insulin to get into the blood and the, the the nutrients to get to the cells you transplanted, that creates an issue because then your efficiency is much lower. So you need much more cells to compensate for that. And um, you could like you could get a agglomeration of the beads, which means the center of the bead will not get as much nutrients and oxygens. So that therapy currently uh, has only shown promise in mice. The possibility that um, this therapy could work, um, we need to investigate what happens once we transplant these beads. 
So what I work on is adding a nanoparticle to render those beads imageable once transplanted. Mm -hmm. So we can use uh, magnetic resonance imaging to track those beads and uh, hopefully see what happens. Damn, so cool. I work on, yeah, that's what I work on. <laughs> so the pancreas, the, or no, the, the eyelet that you're inserting, why can't this be treated kind of like a, like a heart, like a heart transplant, you know, where people are trying to find like something that would be compatible with your body? Like, why can't it like be compatible so your immune system doesn't attack it in the first place? That, that's a good question. So the problem with type 1 diabetes is you've already attacked your own beta cells. Um. So oftentimes, even if your graft is compatible, the fact that their beta cells could be recognized and recognized as foreign because you already recognize your own as foreign. So that's oh, so the it's issue. just a bigger issue like, yeah. with the body. <laughs> okay. It's pretty cool. I feel like um, this is getting maybe a bit more broader, but I feel like a lot of solutions that uh, that people come up with now in biology, bioengineering, etc. It always has to do with nanoparticle. Even, yeah. even with like actually like non stuff that's not the body. Like uh, Constantina who was in the first episode. Same thing. Like she was talking about water treatment with nanoparticles. Do you think nanoparticles are the future? Well, the field suggests so. Well, there is, you know, there's always a surge when the topic is trending. Like the amount of papers in nanoparticles that's been published recently, like it's been spiking up. Yeah. But like everything is going to start, I think we're or we've already starting to reach the plateau of mm -hmm. like the people who wanted to get involved have got involved. And there are not, you know, there are not a lot of nanoparticles who are currently accepted and currently used in clinical, uh, in clinical use. Mm -hmm. And uh, the most, that I think there are probably less than five. I do think there are a lot of potential applications, but like everything, uh, often the hype shoots I higher see, yeah. than the potential. So, yeah. When this, <laughs> when I hear this sort of thing, I'm happy to be doing <laughs> behavior psychology. What? Uh, what? There's still so many questions. No, I know. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just, this is the another uh, yet another debate. Yes. Among, about what what constitutes a real science, but that will be for another time. <laughs> Okay, so I think it's time for uh, the special topic of this episode, which is going to be about conferences. Because uh, if you don't know that, uh, if you're not into research, a lot of what you do as a, as a researcher and as a research student in general is going to conferences to show off your work. It's cooler and not as difficult as getting a paper out. So we do a lot of them, especially when we're young, and full of energy. So we all have a lot of anecdotes, a lot of tips for you. Uh, I mean, we have we have tips, but we're all like relatively new to the field. So take these tips with uh, with tips with the tips of the <laughs> finger. I'm trying to make puns. I'm really bad at it, but it's fine. Why uh, did you say a grain of salt? Yeah, but I wanted to do. A, oh, with because the you take the tip with the tip of your oh, finger. Okay, so it's just a, take a tip a of our advice. Exactly, a okay. tip of our tip. Okay. I think this joke has gone too far. Anyway, and you know, share anecdotes. Uh, I find conferences are always a fun place to meet people, but also to have cool stories to tell when you come back. Um, first thing, very first question I wanted to ask you, because 
it is the question that you have to ask yourself even before you get to the conference. Poster or oral presentation? You go first. <laughs> poster? <laughs> you, you prefer posters? No, I actually prefer presentation, but I've mostly done posters. Mm -hmm. It's just that the presentation requires you to do much more work. But then you need, you need, I think you need a lot to present into a, to make it into a presentation. I feel you need to have very interesting findings. Yeah. Sure. Uh, it's mostly PhD students or masters at the end of their masters. Mm -hmm. And I've only just gotten to that point. So previously it's been mostly posters because it's more like, oh, here's like one fourth of my masters, mm -hmm. second fourth. And, uh, but in terms of like, a, say, workload apart, what do you prefer? Because it's two really different. I would say I prefer oral presentations, but I've always done posters because for some reason, my luck with getting picked for an oral presentation is that they has to like fit around whatever themes they're going for. That's true. And they don't know these themes until like maybe a few months before the act the conference starts. Mm -hmm. The one easy way to ensure that you get an oral presentation if you really want one is to sign up for a symposium or know the people that are organizing a symposium because then you kind of already know what the topics are going to be about. But I find that the people they get that they select for oral presentations are usually around like hot the hot topics of the field yeah. at the time. Um, and for some of that, like it could really just be like pro like profs and like early profs or postdocs and like less students. But I don't know, it like it always depends. But I also also find it very often People that do the presentation are not the kind of people that should be doing a presentation. You know, you have these people that have they have very nice slides. Yeah. They are like super well prepared. They're prepared like posters. <laughs> but then they have like extremely monotone voice, you know, and just say a lot of like of jargon that Oh, so this leads uh, to an anecdote that I have. <laughs> oh that's perfect. Is, I did that it, on purpose. Did you? <laughs> you need it. We need that. So I find it very interesting. So I've gone to a bunch of conferences that are both within Canada and outside of Canada. Mm -hmm. And I find it very interesting that I guess within the sphere of McGill that they educate us as to like, well, I guess maybe this is just me personally or just because we're in the language. But they they try to educate us as to like how to give a good presentation, mm -hmm. so to speak. Like don't put too much text on your slides and like have some sort of it, like don't put too much details that kind of explain things mm -hmm. or like they kind of for me personally have given me this like thorough instruction like this is a good presentation this is a bad presentation and then I've gone to conferences and like time after time these people they get these like five minute introductions they're like the most esteemed professors and their text is like dark blue background and yellow writing and I'm like did I don't understand. Did we not all get the memo? Like this is this is not what we're supposed to do. Or we'll put like full essays on every single I page know. for like font 10 and then the whole presentation is they read off word word for word what is written on the slide. I was like I just I don't know if it, this is like an intergenerational thing like we're just the new generation so we're going to do differently but it's I, it was like, it I was like shaking my head during these presentations. Like, I just spent so much time about text and font and making this as clean and like nice as possible. And they just copy and pasted their entire book. Well, you have to think that it's, that's true. It could be a very generational thing because, 
I mean, when you think about it, slides in po- on PowerPoint, it's pre- relatively recent. Like, even my mom, when she was doing presentations, she she told me that she was doing that on a... On, you know, on the, this old slideshow, you know, what you, I don't know how you call that in English. Oh, the carousel? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, overhead? No. I don't know. Anyway, you know, but it's it like these light. squares of pictures that, and you have a light projector. Yeah. And it's like this carousel that like you, you turn every, every time, every new thing. It's a physical thing. Yeah, uh, we used to have... We talk about this as if it was like this ancient <laughs> technology was actually not that old. But yeah, so it's the sort of thing where you, when you do, a, when you did, did that, it, that took like yeah. forever already and people didn't actually used to have slides when they would do presentations. Maybe they're not familiar, but I, I like to think that these people have students and they had know enough to like critique what their student is doing. It's just very interesting. Like maybe once you get into your ways of doing something, it's just like... Sure. solid like you're mm-hmm. like this is how i do things this is how it's done so maybe it's harder for them to change but that was like of all like it consistently happens at every conference i go to i'm just like a little bit perplexed as to where <laughs> the disconnect is so advice number one <laughs> keep your slides clear advice number two don't listen to <laughs> presentations of older people. No! This advice is not a real one. That's wrong. Listen to uh, much wiser people who have more to say, even though their slides may be yes. a little off. Yes, don't, don't judge their slides. Judge the their research. Content. Yeah, and the content. I find, personally, I much prefer doing oral presentations because I feel like you really can feel an audience. When, when they're hooked, when you're talking and you see that people are hooked and interested uh, in what you're doing. I don't know. It's very empowering kind of thing. But at the same time, people would much more remember you if you have a one-to-one conversation in front of a poster. Much more future collaborations, I feel, would be created next to a poster. Is that just my feeling or do you also agree with this? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Because... Um, I guess we've been to different conferences, mm-hmm. but uh, the conferences I've been to, I don't know if that works for your fields as well. Um, when you do a poster presentation, you have you get assigned into a group of people, and then the judges go around with the with the judges and the uh, some students randomly selected. So mm-hmm. not everyone ends up seeing your poster unless mm-hmm. you unless you stand there. And wait, and there's sometimes not a big enough allocated time for you to just stand there and have people come and yeah. ask you about it. Sometimes Agreed. people don't even care. Yeah. yeah. And they often... These... Oh, no, yeah, you go, go ahead. ahead. Oh. <laughs> they often do poster presentation or poster sessions over lunch. Yeah. So yes. then people are always, like, eating, and then they're like, oh, well, I'm half eating. Should I come talk to you? Yeah, like You always have a fan these people also who... They come and they stand three meters away from your poster. <laughs> You're in front of your poster. There's nobody talking to you. And they just stand like this and they try to read over your shoulder. And they just no, want zero interaction. I'm yeah. laughing because I've done that. You do- <laughs> because you wanna- I-, I hate that. Every time I go and I'm like, uh, do you want me to give you a rundown? And they're like, no. And they leave. Okay, well, I don't leave, but I like to first, like, digest it before I decide I want to, like, talk to them. See if it's, like, worth your attention. Yeah, is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, you're you're a terrible person. Let me tell you that. (laughs) Like, in Montreal, a lot of restaurants will put their menus right by the door. 
That's fair. And everyone comes by and they're like, oh, do I want to go in? Do I not? And then, like, everybody inside is probably just teased. Like, are they coming? Yeah. We want to fill our table. Mm. Well, in this case, I have, I have a tip that actually I have developed to avoid this situation. You have to walk at a pace that allows you to read other people's poster fast. So you need to develop a fast reading technique. Yeah. So that's secondary. But <laughs> you walk slow, issue. you look, and you do one, one first round like this. And you read, like quickly the posters and then when you come back then you do the real stuff so the first time it looks doesn't look like you're actually interested it looks oh, like you're just passing by yeah and getting yeah no but, but if i follow your technique because i'm already a slow reader i just go for the pretty looking posters i'm like oh which had nice colors which looks clean which title is not three sentences long <laughs> okay i'll go to that one have you gone to uh what's your what's the biggest uh conference that you've ever been to Mm. Like in terms of like in terms people? of capacity, yeah, like yeah, academic or non-academic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think academic mostly was two hundred people. Um, nice. Non-academic, I was part of an innovation competition that included a thousand people. Wow! But I wasn't the present. I was a team member, but I wasn't the presenter there. Yeah, yeah. a thousand was the largest conference. Yeah, that's, then, that's a lot. Yeah, and the smallest was like 50. Which was smallest nice. was 50? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, 50 is pretty that's, small. That's, well, <laughs> I, I was going to yeah. say it's pretty big it's for really the smallest. really exclusive club. <laughs> I've been to like a 32. Uh, really? Wow. It was, it was also very small probably because many people just didn't get to reach the room. Uh, because it was at the, in the middle. Have you ever been to UCAM? Yeah. It's a maze. There's like seven wings. I mean, I only go to the one, like the buildings that are close to Sherbrooke. <laughs> no, this one was, I don't know where. And it was third floor of, you can only access it by one door. Anyway, so probably half of the people that were supposed to be there just Never lo made got it. lost. Okay. What about questions at conferences? I find a lot of people in conferences, they often try to do, to ask questions, really just to show off their... Like, show that they know something. Yeah. Instead yeah. of really genuinely asking something, they really want to just yeah. assert sometimes their dominance over the knowledge of a subject. They, they, they ask a question that's more of a comment yeah. than, uh, than <laughs> a sure. question. Yeah. They speak. So the speaker will have a 15-minute presentation. And then there's like, I don't know, five, two to three minutes, max five minutes of questions. And then there's always that one guy who hugs <laughs> the five minutes. Yeah. He speaks for like... A good minute and then there's like a couple of questions in there and then he answers his own question and then he ends with oh yeah maybe it was more of a comment than a question and then <laughs> he's like thank you for your presentation <laughs> yeah i think we all have seen this yeah. like, there was one conference i went to uh so don't be that guy name. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was yeah what this one conference and apparently it's not just that one it's a Bian biannual. Okay. Is that what you say? Yeah, yeah, biannual. Every time. I've only been there once, but people have told me it happens every time. There's this one very old researcher, which after every single oral presentation, he stands up and he says, thank you for the presentation. It was great. I had one comment though. And he goes on and this this super long presentation that comment that nobody understands. He really is in, in his own world. Nobody knows how to answer this. But I think he's like sort of like a very respectable researcher, kind of. But he's getting very old. So people are just like, you know, letting him be. 
and you could see as soon as he stands up, everybody in the room is just like. <laughs> but you have to let you, have you to just let it happen. Let it question. I don't know yeah. if that's better or worse than there being no questions. Because yeah. no questions is also very awkward. Yeah. Any questions? But that's what the um, the uh, presenter is there. Another presenter, the facilitator, the guy who yeah, presents you. That's, that's what true. he's for. Because <laughs> I've been one of those. Oh, yeah. You're, yeah, you're, you're supposed, if no one asks a question, so you're always supposed to ask, a, to think of a question. Oh. And uh, if no one asks a question, you should be the one opening with a question because then maybe someone wants to add on your question so that oh, they to make the people comfortable. We do not have these. I've never been to a conference that had a facility. I've, I've been to conferences where like, they have someone that just like t- keeps track of time. Oh, there's yeah, always somebody yeah. that presents. But there's no. always... And then he comes or she comes. Yeah, but they're usually just like some volunteer that's keeping track of time. They're not actually paying attention. Oh, really? Well, I was a volunteer. Oh, but, but you were also like actively paying attention. Well, yeah. Oh. <laughs> why? Why would you go? Yeah. <laughs> These, why would you go to? Golf? Yeah. Why would you go if you're? A, <laughs> I, I don't know. know. I guess there's food. Maybe <laughs> to go to a foreign country, <laughs> paid by your, by yeah. an award or by your. Faculty. Oh, they're not flying volunteers to conferences. Like the volunteers are usually local. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was they'll be the, they'll be in the, general when you go to a conference. Oh, Some people they go to a conference not yeah, that's to actively true. listen. That's true. But the food, that's a good thing. That's true, yeah. That's a way for me personally to judge how good the conference is. It's how good the food <laughs> is. Is the food. Because like for us, this is like for conferences, especially if you're gonna leave Canada, is like your opportunity to like see the rest of the world and like mm-hmm. kind of like experience something different so i want the food to reflect this new culture that i'm now <laughs> visiting i don't i didn't get on a plane to then eat burgers and mac and cheese and the same thing i can eat here but wait you're talking about the food in the conference or the yeah. food in the city no the, the food at the conference is how i judge how good the conference was did they think about trying to give us like a cultural experience mm. yeah. what i'm living for <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about the scientific information. I just want the events and the food. That's yeah, not that, true. That's of not course. how it should be. <laughs> <laughs> don't take that with the, just a tip of your exactly. finger. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's so much more you can do at a conference. I think uh, conferences are the, your way to start building your network. That's yeah. very true. Um, well, because you know professors um, could have worked in industry previously. Or they may have done industrial postdocs. If or if you're looking for to stay in acad- academia, then it may be might be where you meet your place where you do your postdoc, or it may be a place where you do your PhD if you're master's student. And uh, well, well, there's also there's getting to know what the cutting edge science like yeah. who has come up with what. Yeah. That's obviously a reason to go, but. Um, that you gain just by sitting there unless you're not paying attention <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> alright I think it is time oh. for the traditional saying traditional we are two episodes <laughs> but it will be soon traditional game and game I will ask you to take your phones out because we're gonna play a really cool game it's not oh, actually a game I found uh, online I found a quiz that's what type of researcher are you? Okay, so question number one is your favorite thing to do during the weekend is attend a public event, watch a movie on a couch, daydreaming, spend time with family and friends, or do something new and exciting. 
What if things overlap? Like you do something new and exciting with family. Look, it's a 10 <laughs> questions quiz that I found online. It's not a personality oh test. Oh my gosh, I fail at personality tests. That's even possible? You fail. Yeah, because I can't decide which category. So they just say, you have failed this test? You are nothing? You are they, they're, they're always confused. I'll definitely put do something new and exciting because I'm such an exciting person. What are you, what are you putting I on? put... Uh, uh, family and friends. Yeah, I put spend time with yeah. family and friends. Well, I'm selfish. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> do you talk to yourself in the mirror? What mirror? That's that's the answer. What mirror? Uh, yeah, that's my yes. answer. <laughs> oh my yes, checking to see if I look persuasive enough. No, I'm too busy with my organizer. Seriously, who would answer this? <laughs> yes, just look at what that beautiful creature can achieve. And yes, when I'm completing on what difference I can make on the world. What a beautiful <laughs> answer to put. I actually like to talk to myself as like a pep talk. Yeah? Yeah. And so like trying to, so when you said like to see how, what can do, what difference can you make? I mean, I more so do it if I'm like practicing a speech or need to like, hear my research ideas out loud yeah. i will just do it as if i'm talking to myself ah. but none of these cool. options all of these options make me sound crazy i know but that's the sort of the <laughs> point what did you put john what mirror what <laughs> there's no mirror in my room. i feel like every guy says that <laughs> you would best describe yourself as compassionate observant visionary enthusiastic or resourceful i think you should put visionary i was going to put enthusiastic for myself <laughs> What what should John put? John is resourceful. Thanks, thanks. That was that was good. Joe, yeah. So <laughs> in, in case you're not aware, and that's the crazy thing, John doesn't have a bachelor of engineering degree, and he's doing a master's in chemical engineering. So he's doing a master's in the hardest branch of engineering without previous experience in that field, and I think that's awesome. It's extremely hard. Congratulations, John. Thanks. I guess I'm resourceful. <laughs> <laughs> so what am I then? You You're a visionary. Visionary? Yeah. Thanks. You're always it's going cool. for world domination. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> what is your greatest research fear? Irreproducibility? Oh. Getting scooped? What's getting scooped? Uh, I think someone copying you or... Oh. No, someone doing the same work as you before you or something. Oh, publishing yeah. us, yeah. okay. Not executing something perfectly. Low impact published paper. Taking a risk and failing. Irreproducibility. It's the worst thing when it works for the first time and yeah. then it never works again. Yeah. All right. Let's see the results. Oh, here we go. I got the dreamer. Oh. You have the vision. You are also a perfectionist in achieving this vision. You may just be the person to solve the hardest and most unanswered problem of your generation. Thank you. Internet quiz of which I don't know the author. <laughs> However, you might not publish very much. Oh. <laughs> That's not nice. I got the politician. Oh. Okay, you can get people to collaborate on joint projects. You know everyone. You can make things happen irrespective of the available funding and resources. But you tend to work until weekends. Example, sending emails to colleagues on a Saturday. Interesting. Is that accurate? I mean, I don't really work on weekends. 
So, no. Wow. Wow. But I do, I do like to know everyone in the department. So that is true. And I do, I'm all for collaborations, even though it's difficult. What about you, Johnny? I am the manager. My job is to primarily seek funding and recruit people to work on the project. <laughs> yeah, well, not a prof, but <laughs> you supervise the work and I set goals and directions and review results. I will often have the project published. Oh, yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and know how to receive generous funding. I did receive grants, yeah. <laughs> you can maximize your funding and resources without compromising the quality. And however, when you run out of resources, your productivity might collapse. Oh, well. Damn. <laughs> That's for solving the future. So, anyway, I think we're uh, reaching the end of this episode. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thanks for having me. I us. hope you had fun. Um, as I said in the previous episode, uh, If you want to participate, you are very welcome to, uh, especially if you come from fields of which I have no friends. Uh, that would be awesome because we need a full representation. I don't want to be enclosed in my bubble of only the people I know. Uh, it would be awesome to have new visions. Visions. Oh, uh, that, that would be awesome. Nice so if words. you want to participate, they sh there should be at some point We still don't know because we're still recording while nothing has been posted yet, but there should be somewhere in the PGSS website a way to uh, uh, contact me and say what who you are, what you're studying, and what you would like to talk about in the podcast. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you again for coming, John and Yandu. Thanks, uh, and, Thanks uh, for having us. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, see you for another episode. Bye. 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 <laughs> It's a delayed by.